Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest helps business leaders and salespeople get into the doors of the most sought-after prospects. She is the author of Biz Dev Done Right, winner of the 50 leading companies in 2017 from Silicon Valley Review, the chief door opener of COP Consulting. Please welcome Karen Cop. Thank welcome, you, Greg. Karen. It's great to be here. It's awesome to have you on the show. Thank you for your time. So our show focuses on in the endurance mindset. And Karen, I'd love to hear how an endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. Well, there are so many ways we could go with that. We can go business, we can go personal, but um, well, I'll start out with personal. When I was young, I was a competitive gymnast and uh, in our school, they put us in a couple of different categories and I was in the second to the highest category, but I wanted to learn the, the tricks that the highest category was doing, but they wouldn't spot me for that. And so the, the trick in particular, uh, that I want to talk about today was an aerial, which is a, it's a cartwheel with no hands. And they wouldn't spot me for the aerial. So I just decided that's BS. They're not going to do that. I'm going to figure out how to do it on my own. So I just kept throwing them and I would just delay putting my hands down. I had 27 black and blue marks up and down my legs because I kept falling. And one day I didn't fall. And then I had that. And so, you know what, it, if somebody tells me that it can't be done, then my brain starts working on how to figure it out, which is actually in our, our, our company, our number one core value is figure it out because the path in sales and especially in opening the door is never simple. If it was simple, nobody would need us. And we've been in business for 24 years. So we figure it out. We figure out the right recipe, despite the obstacles, despite the fact that our clients' prospects have other vendors they work with. They have other solutions that they work with that, that are working very well. Why should they see our clients anyway? We have to figure it out. I love that story. Um, in particular, you kept trying and one day you didn't fall. Um, thinking about that moment, Karen, is there was there something in your life that that gave you that courage or that determination even prior to trying to master this aerial on your own? Um, well, that's a really interesting question. I guess um, I grew up in a house with a gifted child and the gifted child wasn't me. My brother is a, a musician with a band you would know. Uh, and he was always gifted in that. And there was a lot of recognition uh, towards that. And I was kind of in the shadows. And so I think when people tell me something can't be done, I can't, don't rely on somebody else to help me out. I don't, I figure it out. If I want to get it done, I get it done. I figure it out. I figure out the path to the finish line. Like one of the, the phrases that we've trademarked is the path to the cash. And mm. the, the path to the cash could be riddled with uh, really difficult obstacles. But how do you remove them and just basically take a, uh, a figurative broom and just move things right off the path to get to the finish line? 
And I think growing up the way I did, I had no choice but to do it that way because nobody was going to do it for me. You got me thinking about the broom and path to cash. Talk to me about the process of how you came up with that concept, you know, getting to the finish line. It, it, it's not something that we're just born to do. And I find that it's an iterative process of figuring out what works, what doesn't work. How has that been for you? Like, walk us through how you've come up with that concept. Well, it, it will sound backwards to you. And because I find that the people who are the best hunters, especially the door opener kind of hunter, which is different than the closer hunter, but the person who can get in the door with somebody they don't know and have a conversation with someone they don't know at a very high level that leads to an outcome is really a lot about DNA. The, the best sales hunters have it in their DNA. So if you ask them what they do that works, many times they can't articulate that. They don't know. Like when we were trying to figure out how do we scale the messaging process that leads to door opening in our company, and people would say, okay, Karen, how are you getting to the messaging? I didn't know. I just felt my way through it. It was DNA. So one time I asked my brother, I said to him, how do you get to be so very good at what you do? And he said, it's simple. He said, I just don't do anything I'm not good at. Which is fascinating when you think about the DNA and the sales hunter if you hire someone who has it in their DNA to do this part of the job of the door opening and they love this part of the job, they can feel their way through it. So when I started this business and I was the first door opener and it's by far my favorite thing to do and I don't get to do it so much anymore because we have a lot of door openers in our company and EO told me I should be running the company as opposed to doing the door opening, which is what I do. Um, it's it's very often about the process that somebody who's exceptionally talented at it doesn't know that they're doing. So we studied, when we started to scale the company, we studied the process that I was using. And that's how my seminar, The Five Planks of Door Opening Success, came about because I didn't know what I was doing. But then time after time, as we had new clients coming in, it was always, is it the right target? And let's not focus on anybody who's not the right target. What do we say to these people that's so meaningful that they would knock three people off their calendar and make time for my client? What are the best answers for the objections? Not any answer, but the one that actually gets somebody to stop and say, oh, I didn't think about it like that. You're right. We better have this meeting. Who's the right person doing the work? The person with the DNA who really loves this job? Because if you don't love this job, it's torture. You have to love this job. And then what is the right execution? Is it a phone call? Is it an email? How much time do you need weekly in order to do this right? And so program after program after program, I was going through that process without even realizing it was a process. And then once we started documenting it, it became the five planks of door opening success, which is the foundation of how we get all of our programs started. Let's dig into that a little bit deeper, Karen. Because, um, right, 
these people, these door openers, the hunters, to your point, they've got, it's in their DNA. And that DNA walks into the office every day and it walks out of the office every day. And it's, to your point, difficult and almost mind numbing for me to think about documenting a process that is so entrenched within my DNA. Help us understand how you as a business leader um, led your team to sort of stop doing the door opening and let's step back and, and focus on process and then some of the rewards that it's generated over time. We actually did it at the same time because as we were getting new programs started, I had our very first messaging strategist other than me was observing. So we were recording, and this goes back a lot of years. We've been in business for 24 years. That probably was in year number four or number five where I needed to scale, but it couldn't all be me. How does the other person follow the process? And remember that person had the DNA too, but they didn't know what the process was. So they were, we recorded the calls. We were studying, okay, what is, what are my question sequences that I typically do? Like, for example, when we get started with a new program, we have to figure out the strategy of the approach because our clients don't always know. In fact, if they knew, they probably wouldn't need us, right? So they don't always know where is the best place to fish? What is the best approach uh, that will get them what they want? So when I was doing this line of questioning, Somebody would say, okay, what are your questions? And I I didn't know. I just felt my way through it. It's like drilling for oil. And so you go down here and it's like, yeah, no oil down there. Pull back, shift over, drill down here with other questions like ding, ding, ding. And you have to know the ding, ding, ding when you hear it. So uh, this one person, our first messaging strategist, was studying the recordings and the paths that I took through to try to figure out what was the best approach. And then she, doc- there was a, a strategy actually, and I didn't even know, but she documented what that was. But as we were doing it, new program, new program, new program, new program. And then um, the hiring of these people was another one of those approaches. How, how do we get the people who are great at this and not the people who either are great at this and don't want to do it, because we don't need them on our staff, or who are not great at this. So how do we pick apart that a hunter is not a hunter is not a hunter, but just the ones who are great at this? And so that became the whole hiring process. So we were studying our people who came from a couple of different kinds of sales roles, but all arrived at the same conclusions about door opening. It's actually fascinating. Uh, in terms of what we need to look for in order to find the person who will succeed here. So you, you mentioned studying the sales team, studying your process. Is that something you're doing on a regular basis? Is it on your calendar? Walk us through that routine. Well, now it's different because uh, with Salesforce, Uh, We have the ability to review certain data that actually probably most people don't review. I talk now in my seminars about sales effectiveness metrics, that we've got a little TM going on that one. And uh, like, for example, what percentage of your first meetings go to second meetings? And it's like a trick question because they all should. 
But when you ask a company who's maybe not one of our clients yet, they they don't know how many because they're not measuring that. Or it may be a low percentage because they don't realize they're talking to a lot of prospects that they shouldn't be talking to at all. Whereas when we start a door opener program, every prospect on the list does, should deserve to be there for a particular reason. Another one of the uh, sales effectiveness metrics is what percent of deals closed are the right deals. People aren't really thinking about that. And when people were in the pandemic, which was a couple of years ago, their definition of what the right closed deal usually changed in many companies. It changed versus what it was pre-pandemic. But now that we're post-pandemic, has it changed again? But yet the, the sales discussions, the tactics, and the closed deals are still the same ones as they were in the pandemic, which means the percent of closed deals, which are the right deals, is a low percentage. So there are sales effectiveness metrics that we watch that we're able to help our clients watch now, which make a big difference because we're tracking all of this. Another one is um, the percent of time people are getting certain objections. Most people don't track that in their CRM. They don't even know. But if you can identify that 75% of the time that you're getting an objection that gets in your way, it's one particular objection. There are things you can do from a diagnostic standpoint to change that so that you don't get that objection anymore, either by changing the offering, by changing the target, by changing the message. So we're, we're able to do that. On the other side with the hiring, yeah. So we've now made uh, the onboarding process part of our hiring process. So not everybody who gets through our hiring process makes it through our onboarding process. It's not just about telling them about the company. I don't expect to have to train them on door opening. They should know how to do that. We only hire senior level business developers who have done this job before, but we have to make sure that they can support our clients the way our clients deserve to be supported. And so there are um, exercises, not just we're giving them information, but there are exercises and certain things like a person like this has to be incredibly detailed, incredibly methodical. I say maniacally methodical in order to do this job well. So we have little tricks in our onboarding process, like put this together, fill this out, and send this to this person by this date and time. But if they send it to a different person or they, they don't send it by the right date and time, flags go up as to whether they're going to be able to do what we need them to do in order to get all the right doors open. So some people don't make it through our onboarding process either. And that's a change I'd say in the past, maybe two, two to three years that we've done. So we're always learning. I was gonna ask you about that. Um, Cause honestly, I've never heard the distinction between the hiring process and onboarding process. You know, for me, an onboarding process, you're already on the team, you're already in, like, things are just rolling. Can you give us a little bit more detail behind, like, what was your thinking when you came up with that concept and put it into place? And what's the conversation to the individual? Do they know that they're in an onboarding process and they might not get to the other, even though they're getting their paycheck and they're on the team, there's still another hurdle that they have to go through. Talk to us about that. Yes. So that idea came up a couple of years ago um, for any company. It's really expensive if the person you hire doesn't work out. 
In fact, in many sales roles, I recommend that people hire more than one, hire two, hire three. If they all work out, great, because your sales are going to explode. But if they don't all work out, you can easily take one out, keep the other one going, and you don't have interruptions in your pipeline. So, so a lot of times when people have a mishire, it's three to six months before they even realize that that person needs to go. And think of the interruption in somebody's pipeline during that process. In fact, I recommend that companies use our door opener service if they're looking to hire a salesperson so that we are feeding the new opportunities at the executive level at the top of their funnel while they're going through the hiring process. So by the time their person is onboarded and contributing, then we can step out. But in the meantime, there's not this six-month gap, basically, in their, in their pipeline. But um, so because it's so expensive, I think the, the, the last time, right before we decided to implement this, there was something that we hit that never occurred to us to look at in the interview process, um, which is testing people over multiple time zones. So for example, we hired a door opener and she was great. She could have conversations with C-suite people, get outcomes, everything was great. But when it came to the calendar invite, which seems like such a trivial thing, but it's not, to, over multiple time zones, she was in New York, the client was in Pacific time and the prospects were in Mountain. And she messed up on two of the calendar invites. Well, we do executive level appointment setting. We can't have that kind of mistake. Mm -hmm. So we backed that up and we put that into our interview process. So some things are in the interview process where we'll say to the candidate, send, send the, time, the calendar invite and it'll be to somebody who's not in, in their time zone. Um, and let's see how it works. Let's see how their camera works. How do they show up on video? Because they're going to need to show up on video with our clients too. And if we're promising the highest level of professionalism, they, they have to enter knowing how to do that. We're not going to fix that for them. Other parts of it are in the onboarding process. So for example, there's a, what we have a now what exercise. So you don't reach somebody after the first three tries. Now what? You don't reach them after the next try. Now what? That didn't work. Now what? That didn't work. There's like 20 of them. People who are really experienced at this, who's got, who have it in their DNA and they've done this job before, they're not the kind of salespeople who meet somebody at a conference over the baked ziti. These are the people who can reach out to somebody with, without knowing them, get them into a conversation and get an outcome, which is a meeting. And so they should be able to fill out that now what exercise in 20 seconds. So for people who hand it in incomplete, we've had people do that. They don't make it through our onboarding program because if they're going to give up after four attempts, that's, that's nothing that we talk about. If every prospect on the list is the exact right, right prospect, you don't give up after four attempts. If they don't know what to do after four attempts, they're out of ideas. Well, our number one core value is figure it out. They don't live our core values. They don't make it through onboarding. So we are very upfront with them and we will tell them not everybody makes it through our onboarding, but this is for them as much as it is for us. Because if you get through a onboarding and you go on to a program, but you struggled with onboarding, you're probably going to struggle with the program too. And we don't want that for them or us or our clients. I'm curious, um, how much of your process processes have you 
developed because of your own sales efforts and growing your business versus the work that you're doing for your clients? I think it's, it's both of them. It's both. It's both. Here's, here's a great example. When I was in sales, like right out of college, I went through the Xerox sales training program, Sylvania, but my employer put us all through it. And we learned a lot about all sorts of different kinds of sales situations, but not about the getting in the door. Nobody actually trains you on getting in the door on the, these big programs. It all starts with the meeting and what happens from the meeting to the time you close and the negotiation and all that other stuff. But how do you get the meeting? And if you don't get the meeting, you don't get to do a whole lot of anything else in sales. So that's probably the most important part, at least in my opinion. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there was one time with a particular prospect, he was in California and uh, he was a prospect for COP Consulting. And we had a couple of conversations. He was really interested. And then he went silent. So a lot of people struggle with that. You know, prospects go silent. Almost everybody I've ever known, including myself, it, it's happened. So what do you do about that? In, in that moment, I was really worried about him because he was so interested. It was so unlike him to just not respond. I sent an email, which has become one of my favorites for when people uh, are silent, but it was really just sent out of concern at the time where I just said to him, are you okay? Mm. And I wrote, no, that was the subject line. Are you okay? And I wrote, no need to... And no need to enter into a business conversation at this time, but we were having conversations. I haven't heard from you and I'm kind of worried. Are you okay? And within 24 hours, I had my answer. His son was in a car accident and he was spending the time in the hospital with his son who was young. And that's why he hadn't answered any emails or anything. So a lot of times when people face prospects who are silent, they make up this whole narrative in their heads, oh, my price is too high. And then they start selling against themselves or they chose someone else or whatever, but they actually don't know. And this just human, are you okay? Which is an example of how COP Consulting business development efforts flowed into the content that I teach in the seminars that I give. And also for our door openers, uh, not only for themselves when they're engaged with a prospect and the prospect goes silent, but also for our clients. When that happens to them after the meeting, later in the sales process, and we're giving them guidance on what to do. And it comes from a very genuine place. Usually people will respond within 24 hours to something like that. It's super powerful. Um, and I've used that. You, you and I have had many conversations, excuse me, and I've used that same approach, but it's not tactical, right? It's true caring. Like I, I reach out to people that have gone silent and ask them if they're doing okay, because I truly care about, are they doing okay? And it sounds as, as that's the same approach that you're taking. It's not a, a sales tactic. It's truly, Hey, are you like, it's just human. And they receive that and they feel it. And then they respond back. In fact, I did it yesterday with a, a colleague that has made a major change in his career. And instead of asking him about his career change that I learned from somebody else, I just sent him a note say, hey, I heard there's some changes going on. Are you okay? And we got into a different dialogue. Right, right, absolutely. So Karen, at the, at the beginning of our podcast, um, we're talking about the endurance mindset and how it's affected your life unexpectedly. And you gave us that wonderful story of being a gymnast and your aerial and 
I can't even imagine trying that, but um, <laughs> did you also have a, a business example you wanted to share? Well, I do, because there are, there are a lot of people who, when they're trying to get in the door for themselves, give up too soon. Actually, in sales in general, they give up too soon. In, in the book that I wrote, was Biz Dev Done Right, which is right here, I'm holding it up. Um, there's a whole chapter dedicated to giving up one step before the finish line. So if you know what the process is and you're doing the parts of the process right, then there's that endurance mindset to know that you're doing it right and to hang in there. So when it comes to the prospect, I'll, I'll share with you um, when I was a door opener early in my company's history, I was representing a meeting planning company that did business with large pharma. And those take, those are longer sales cycles. And with any selling situation, some people are going to want to meet now, some people in three months, some in six months, and some not until next year. Same with closing. Some will close sooner, some will close in six months, some will close next year. And you need to hang in there and be there for your prospects, even if they're not quite ready for you. At some point they will be. And when I tell that story, like people will say, oh yes, that's right. I have somebody in my pipeline who's been there for two years and then they closed and it was the biggest deal ever. I hear that story over and over again, but then there are the people who give up before the two years. And that prospect is still going to make a switch. They're still going to make a spend, but if you don't hang in there, it's not going to be with you. So when I was representing this, this company and, uh, and I was calling all these large pharma companies, there's a very large one in New Jersey, people will know it for sure, that I was trying to get in for two years, two years. And I had spoken with the prospect several times. I love the study of objections. It's fascinating to me. So believe me, I tried everything that I could think of that was professional, of course, to talk to her about why it made sense to have this meeting. And she would say, I'm, we are covered. We have done this, we've done that, we've done this. And I've, I gently uh, challenged her on that. And she was truly covered, she really was. So two years into it, and of course we had lots of meetings and closed sales before this, but she was one of the prospects on the list. So I'm making the calls and I get to her name. And I thought to myself, I have to be crazy to continue calling this person after two years. How, how could I continue doing that? I might as well just skip over her. But because I am maniacally methodical, it, was, it pained me physically to actually skip over her. And I remember that thought process that day. It's like, I got to be crazy. No, I have to call her. I got to be crazy. No, I have to call. And so finally, I... I made the call because that is the process. It was time to call her. I was tracking it. It was time to call her. And I'm glad I did because that day she answered the phone and she said, Karen, guess what? Things have changed here. There have been some internal shifts and it's time for us to have that meeting. And so usually we don't go with our clients on the meetings, especially in those days they were in person. And I said to my client, I'm coming with you because I have to see what she looks like. Right. But that meeting led to the sale for my client. And when that company acquired a very large other pharmaceutical company in New Jersey, this was the company that got to plan the meetings for the consolidation of these. So, so years and years later, they are still doing business 
with that client, it's, I can't even imagine how many millions of dollars it's accounted for, for my client, which never would have happened if I didn't make that call that day. That meeting never would have happened. It wouldn't have become a client of my client, all because I had a process and I stuck to it. And even when I doubted myself, like, how can I continue and make this call? I stuck with it anyway and was able to achieve this success for my client, which I was thrilled for them that they got it. They totally deserve to win. That, that really highlights the value of planning and process. Yes. Um, can you dig in a little bit more into that? And, and especially with respect to your book um, and some of the lessons that you talk about in the book around scripting and planning and process? Well, it's, I mean, we could take that in a thousand different directions. And so when it comes to process and doing it right, some people will, they'll do things out of order. So they'll create the messaging and back into the prospect list. Can't do that because you have to know in sales, well, maybe in marketing you can, but in sales, you have to know who you're talking to in order to know what to say. It's not the other way around. So there's a certain certain steps. And when messaging is created, it's not always created for the situation. Sometimes people who don't really understand sales messaging will create messaging that imagines that you're too far down the sales process than you are. In fact, I, I just spoke with uh, another EO person uh, right before our call, and she is having trouble with an email campaign that she was sending out to raise some funding for a new venture that she has. And so she told me about the first email that she sent out that she didn't get any response to. And she was, she basically assumed they knew more about this than they do, and they would just respond and give her money. And I said, well, why not, instead of asking them for money, because she knows all these people, they're friends of hers. So instead of just asking all these people for money, why don't you send them the email that says, I would like to tell you what I'm doing now and get your feedback on it so I can incorporate it into my business model. That would get people to say yes immediately, have that conversation, which will likely naturally go to how are you funding this? Or might they know people who might be interested in investing? But with the messaging piece of it, where are you with somebody's knowledge of what you want them to know? What have you identified is the outcome that you want? And then to back into where you are in your relationship with them in order to say the right things and deliver that information in a way that's meaningful for the other person. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Um, and it leads me into a, a slightly different question, uh, or maybe even stepping back. Karen, talk to us about your firm and what you do. We've, we've touched on it in many different tidbits and examples, but high level, uh, Talk us about door opening and your, and your business. We do very happy things for people. We give them access to opportunities that they wouldn't have on their own. So at, at the bare minimum, you can describe it as, a, as executive level appointment setting. We get our clients in the door with their prospects for the first meeting. 
but that incorporates everything that we've talked about, the strategy of the approach. Where do you fish so that all the deals that are closed are the right deals in the, in the right definition, that the first meetings go to second meetings? Where do you fish? What do you say that's so meaningful for that person that they'll feel that taking that meeting is going to be the best decision they make that week? That's sales messaging. We have two trademarks in sales messaging. What are the answers for the objections? Who's doing the work? We, so we talked a lot about that, that the people who work here have the DNA. They don't say, I have to make phone calls, which a lot of salespeople do. They say, I get to make phone calls. I heard one of our door openers say that to somebody. I get to make phone calls all day. Aren't I lucky? And so they get to figure this out on behalf of our clients whose time is typically better spent doing other things. Like for example, if you have a really great sales hunter, would you rather that person spend time spend time getting the meetings or would you rather that person spend time closing the sales? So if we get the meetings, they can close more sales because they have more opportunities coming in at the top of the funnel. Plus it's a different skill set typically. So they they can do more of what they like to do. Uh, sometimes people come to us, they have a technical uh, team and that they're not very good at sales, but if you get them the meeting, they can have the conversation and then we can give them some guidance on the best way to the close sales. So we work with big companies, we work with some Fortune 500s, we work with funded startups, but they all have the same problem. They want more meetings with the right prospects. They need that in order to reach their growth goals, or sometimes people just want more because abundance is good. And the, the prospects that they're trying to reach are at the executive level. It's usually for big engagements too. I love it. I love how you started that we do happy things for people. And it, <laughs> it just put a smile across my face and I could see your team sort of energized and bubbly and like making con human connections. Um, that's wonderful. So uh, an audience member is interested in getting in touch with you, Karen, what's your social media platform of choice? Yeah, they can reach out through our website, which is copconsultingusa.com, K-O-P-P consultingusa.com. They can reach me on LinkedIn, chief door opener. I'm known as the chief door opener. I've had a lot of fun with that. Over the years, Twitter, I think, is at Chief Door Opener. LinkedIn is Karen Kopp, C-A-R-Y-N Kopp, K-O-P-P. -P. Fantastic. And those links and reference to your book will all be in our show notes. So scroll down to find those. Karen, I've, I've really enjoyed exploring this endurance mindset uh, with you. And some of my takeaways from today, the now what exercise <laughs> is awesome, right? I mean, I could I could see myself using that in my personal life, in my business, while on my bike thinking this is <laughs> a dumb idea <laughs> and just say, well, now what? Well, now what? Um, and then your insights around just giving up too soon. I think there's yeah. a lot of value there for our audience members to think through about, hey, you know, am I giving up too soon? And what are some of the questions that you should be asking yourself when you're in that situation? Uh, both really, really powerful insights, and and thank you for that. So, Karen, I'll I'll close off and say, you know, any of the audience members, if you've ticket gotten some insights or some takeaways from today's episode, I ask that you share it. I ask that you comment. Um, 
feel free to reach out to Karen or me if you've got other insights you'd like to share. But it's been wonderful having you on the show. It's really, really enjoyable. Always great talking with you. Love the concept. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits. 